Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. Kane's cartel coming through. Tell me what these other teams gonna do. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your host and Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Uh, We're recording this show on... Tuesday around two o'clock in the afternoon, Tuesday, July 21. So I always put the timestamp because uh, we really don't know anymore with how much news changes with this COVID-19 thing. Uh, and I don't want people to think, oh, these idiots, they, they, they're not talking about the big story, which could end up happening an hour from now. So I give, I give them the forewarning whenever we record this stuff, uh, Kelvin. Uh, of course, I'm talking to Kelvin Harris, uh, former Hurricane. He's uh, my wingman, comes on the show frequently. And somewhere off in the distance is our buddy Mike Zimmerman, who's our producer, and, and he's listening to the show and working on other podcasts. So uh, we got the crew back together again in some form. But Kelvin, um, I want to start this episode talking specifically about kind of what happened last week. We finally had three hurricanes who tested positive for COVID. Uh, you know, they, they had a great run there through most of the uh, summer where nobody was, was testing positive. Finally, three guys that we know of, um, that the Miami Herald first reported. And now, um, you know, they're, they're the guys who didn't test positive, that were clean, they got through all that, are back out there working out as usual, as, as, as I wrote in my story for The Athletic. But the point is, in this corona-infested world, in South Florida, where the numbers are high, we finally had some hurricanes test positive. And so this is the first time that, that, that the hurricanes have had to deal with the problem. My question to you, uh, Calvin Harris, is were, were you expecting this to happen? I mean, as, as good as Manny Diaz has done keeping guys uh, in their own dorm rooms and, and on this tight schedule so they're not interacting with other people, I mean, this was, this was inevitable, right? Yeah, there's no way they were going to go through January without somebody testing positive. They would have – there's no way. I mean – uh, if that were the case, that means they would have been faking tests or something. <laughs> it's, just, it's just human nature that you're going to have a relative, you know, an aunt or somebody who is, you know, not really paying attention. And then, you know, from what I understand, the kids that tested positive were responsible kids. It was just something they could control. And um, like I told, um, I told somebody on the staff, I said, this is when you're going to find out what kind of team you got. Um, because the kids have to buy into the, the process. So if they bought into the process, they'll police themselves and they'll make sure that you don't have this happen at a rapid pace. And it looks like that's the case because they were on the field the next day. Yeah, the guys who, who got tested last Thursday um, and, and before that on Wednesday, they, they tested uh, clean and they were allowed to go back out on the field. Now, I know there were more guys that may have been exposed or around the guys who were infected because they do these small workout groups uh, and, and eight people or less plus the training staff. So all of those folks, I think, have to go into quarantine and then make sure that they don't test positive. Um, but, it, you know, the NCAA last week on Thursday also uh, put out, um, you know, sort of their recommendations for, for what should happen this season. Basically, football players should be tested for COVID-19 within 72 hours of each game. And then they got to get those results back. And, and, and if anybody is around somebody who tests positive for more than 15 minutes, uh, then they're considered to being, you know, a risk as well of ha of having the virus. So 
they have to be held out for two weeks. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, this whole process, because you think about it, these football players, you guys are, you know, at practice. Um, you, yes, for the most part, I think guys are off in position groups, and so they may not be exposed to um, the rest of the team or other parts of the team where, where guys might have a positive test. But the point is, I guess it, it, it comes down to like an honor code, right? How, how long were you around Joe Blow who, who has coronavirus, right? I mean, this whole thing is just confusing as hell and it's going to be hard as hell to police and it's going to create problems in the regular season. And, and I, we know that already. And, and so, you know, I talked to some people at Miami. I talked to some people in college football. You've talked to people in college football. What have you gathered, um, Kelvin, from your intelligence um, that, that, that makes you feel confident maybe that football is still going to happen this year or maybe not confident that football is going to happen this year? Um, actually, it's not necessarily football. It's what I'm seeing at the bubble in Orlando and basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL and the NCAA are testing at a higher uh, level than um, anybody else in the country. And um, they have access to speedier tests because the NFL, NBA have their own labs. They supposedly bought out a lab, so they're able to test. And if you notice, the NBA came back and said that they had zero tests on this last round of zero positive on this last round of tests, and they're having scrimmages now. So why that's interesting is because. That's the closest thing to football, you know, as far as interpersonal contact between individuals in a large setting. Because it's, you know, 10 guys on the court plus, you know, we're a coach. So if uh, basketball comes through the first couple of weeks and it stays like it is, that'll help with football because. I talked to some of my friends at the lower division schools who uh, had put protocol in the place that they were going to play, even though a lot of them have canceled. They weren't going to do a lot of uh, nine on seven, a lot of team. It was going to be in a lot of individual groups, you know, where you had smaller, uh, smaller, a smaller group of people. So, like, I think the biggest group would probably be the offensive line. So you look at like maybe 15, 17 guys plus the the coach, the two coaches, and those coaches will be wearing masks, and the kids aren't going to be in the building other than to dress for practice and to lift weights in the weight room. They won't be going to individual meetings. They'll be uh, doing all that on Zoom. So that's going to help. Um, of course, when the season starts and school year starts, um, you got to have some discipline amongst your kids. And I think if you look at the SEC schools, uh, the ACC schools, and certain Big Ten schools, they're going to have to focus because they're playing for something. Now, I don't know. Can Les Miles motivate his kids in Kansas not to go out and have strippers in the room? I don't know. Um, you know, if you're Oregon State, do you have uh, are you able to motivate your kids? Uh, you know, the, the, the lower level power five schools, I think, are going to be the problem, you know, and they've got um, they've got a safeguard in there for those who are playing just conference games because 
they um they'll be able to switch out on the schedule. They're gonna have like a flex schedule. But I know that the SEC is still trying to play twelve games, which I don't see that. I see between eight to ten games. If they were able to pull out twelve games, somebody's sacrificing uh lambs. Because I just I don't think I don't see it. Well, um, you know, a lot of people have been writing stories about about this and, and what college football should be doing. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, well-tapped-in people at The Athletic, Stuart Mandel, um, you know, who, who's one of the leaders of our college football coverage, wrote how they ought to just consider moving this to January. Um, I, and, and, and here's the only reason why I agree with you, Kelvin. There's just way too much money involved, TV contracts, et cetera, and you know, I talked to somebody pretty well tapped in at the University of Miami, and they're just like, look, they're going to do everything they can because they need the money, the TV money. You know, this is all about TV money and, and getting that revenue into these athletic programs. Let's not forget how much money was lost when college basketball in the final four oh, yeah. in, the, in the tournament. You know, that, that TV money was huge. And well, not, this, just, not, just the, not just the NCAA tournament, but the conference tournaments. Right. Because that's also money that they share. So you didn't have any conference tournament money. You didn't have any NCAA money. And then some schools didn't even get any NIT money. So it's a big boy. And then you got sports like, God forbid, if UM gets rid of the volleyball team after this, I'm, I'm protesting because we need to keep <laughs> the volleyball team. <laughs> well, you brought up the reason why, you know, I mean, why everybody's going to conference only type schedules. And I don't know that the public really understands the whole concept be behind that, why the, the uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 are doing it. The reality is it's just easy for scheduling. Um, you know, for instance, uh, if Miami is playing Georgia Tech one week and, uh, you know, Clemson's playing Boston College and Georgia Tech and, and, uh, you know, uh, Boston College have a big outbreak of students that, that, that get the coronavirus and it's tough for them to control. The ACC now can all of a sudden switch the schedule and say, well, Miami and Clemson, you guys are playing this week. And we're going we're gonna to move things around so that we can continue to have the schedule work in the favor of getting games in. Because that's really what it's about. It's about the TV dollars. It's about getting the games in. Um, the fans, you know, that's, that would be a bonus. But I think right now it's just can we get these games in and avoid having to move it to January because the moment you move it to January, it changes everything. You oh, know, yeah. You're going to have a bunch of draft-eligible guys who are going to say, the elite guys who are going to say, I don't need to play. I'm going to be a first-round pick. And I think for Miami, the, those two guys are, are Brevin Jordan and, and Gregory Rousseau, correct? you agree with that? I mean, I, don't, I, I think the whole De'Eric King and, um, you know, Quincy Roche, I think those guys need to put more on film um, but I think, you know, the guys that are sort of looked at as first round locks or uh, that they could, you know, would not benefit from getting hurt in January, February, or March. It's those guys, those other two guys that I mentioned. Well, Reverend Jordan is going to have, I, I think in order for him to be a lot first day pick, he might have to play some games because you forget that he finished the year injured. So there's going to be some questions about, he's going to show up he's healthy. Rousseau, Rousseau's family needs to bubble wrap him because he's a walking stimulus package for that family. <laughs> I mean, and I think Derek King is in a situation where he's got to have a monster year. And even with the monster year, I don't know if he can slide into the first round because of uh, his measurable. 
but I think he'll be either a late second or third round pick. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a solid third round pick because they can justify it, you know, not taking him higher because of his height. But if he has the kind of year that I think he can have with us, he's gonna make it's gonna make it interesting because he's gonna run a four four. He's gonna show some arm strength. He's gonna show accuracy. He's gonna show he knows what he can do on the board. It's just you know we've only had one five nine quarterback. You know, really, there's only been two five nine quarterbacks in the league. That's the kid last year who they can say what they want. That kid, if that kid five ten, I'm Santa Claus. So <laughs> him and Doug Flutie, the only two five nine quarterbacks. So it's gonna be interesting. But I think the kid can play. I think he's gonna have a big year. And Moving it to January, it just changes the whole dynamic. Because if you move it to January, it's Trevor Lawrence playing. It's Justin Fields playing. Wow, now that I think about it, shoot, we might be able to win a national title. Even easier. We won't have any competition. It certainly would change the entire landscape of the season. And, and you know, I know college football fans at this point just want to have games to watch, something to do. They want to go to the stadium. And there's still a lot of people who – in this country who somehow believe that wearing a mask isn't necessary and that this disease isn't going to kill them. And the the reality is the majority of these athletes um, so far have been asymptomatic. Listen, I've been helping out with the uh, Miami Heat coverage uh, for the athletic here in the past couple of weeks and, 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 you know, going into these Zoom meetings with players and coaches and, you know, the guys that had symptoms like Derek Jones Jr. for the Miami Heat, was asymptomatic. Nothing. When he got COVID, he was asymptomatic. The other guys who are going to be rejoining the team here soon, uh, same thing. None of them got sick. This is certainly something that affects people who are not athletes more often than not. I'm not saying it doesn't affect athletes. I'm just saying more often than not, they're in such great shape that this thing isn't going to affect them. But that said, there are a lot of coaches that are older, right? There are a lot of guys oh, yeah. that, that, that are in danger. And so, you know, the reason I think the NBA is happening is because they have that bubble-type atmosphere. And we talked about that on on one of the previous podcasts. I'm of the feeling that unless they go to an NBA bubble-type atmosphere, you're going to have a bunch of kids test positive because there's no guarantee. I mean, even baseball. I mean, those those baseball players are getting checked every time they go into the stadium for practice or – or, you know, whatever sort of team activity. The problem is their family members aren't, and they still go home to their family members. And who knows if their family members are exposed to somebody, you know, who has the disease. So I think, you know, the University of Miami right now and and the rest of college sports, uh, unless they adapt that, that type of bubble atmosphere where you have zero positive tests, and these guys are completely removed from the world, then you're gonna have. We're just gonna have a season where we have to expect that there are gonna be players week to week to week that don't play because of COVID nineteen, and and that's that's sort of what's yeah, gonna be our sports thing. world. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not not gonna downplay the disease, but the reality is you got to add that to what normally happens with injuries. You just right. like, if you're a coach or staff, you got to look at it as if it's an injury. Um, and you got to do it just like you do an injury. So if a guy gets tested the COVID and he's down 10, 15 days, it's like he tore his hamstring. Mm-hmm. Just move on. I mean, that's that's the mentality that coaches have, whether it's COVID, whether it's syphilis, whether it's a sprained ankle, uh, it is the same um, mindset. 
Well, the tricky, how you gotta look at it. The tricky part's going to be that honor system, right? It's going to be uh, were you around somebody for 15 minutes uh, consistently. But, but that's the thing, I think, and that's why I, I was telling the person on the staff, you're going to find out the um, level of accountability and commitment and leadership you got because mm-hmm. if it means something to you, you won't sacrifice. And I think it means something to these kids that they're going to sacrifice for the four months. Mm-hmm. You know, now nah, you can't have the strippers over, you know. Well, I, I, I mean, things, watch. I meant more. I meant more along the lines, Kelvin, of the honor system in practice. I'm talking about coaches and athletic directors and people saying, you know, oh no, they'll be able. They'll be able to figure that out because the way they're going to keep them in the pods. So now the one question, talking to a couple more partners, the coach is, what happens if you get a guy that's old lineman and you get. You know, now you got to quarantine a whole old line. That's the thing that, you know, that's still a mystery. But um, that's why there's going to be a lot of testing in college. That's why, I like, the, the smaller schools fell to the wayside because the Power 5 schools have a level of testing that they got in their mind that I don't think the other schools outside of the Power 5, um, like even Central Florida, even though they're, like, the third largest school in the country, they, I, I think they've got – so financial resources, but I don't know. They may be able to test two or three times a week. I don't know if there's other schools that can do that outside of the Power Five school. Well, I know I know that right now the way testing standards have been at Miami, they're getting tested once a week or once every other week. And then obviously now after the, uh, the positive tests of the three guys, uh, they kind of amped it up a little bit. Last night I was tapped into this these FHSAA meetings and I was listening to it for, for five oh, hours, listening yeah. to those guys talk about high school football in the state of Florida and what's going to happen. And, you know, listening to um, one of the health experts talked, you know, somebody asked, well, what about sweat? You know, does the disease pass through sweat? And essentially, no, it's not through sweat. It's through air droplets, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think as long as people wear masks, the sweating part of it, all of that is not necessarily going to matter. Um, although, again, it's, it's this disease that they're still trying to solve and figure out and completely understand. So you never, you never know. But uh, as far as the actual sweating, I think some people have a question out there. Well, what if these guys start sweating on each other? That's what the medical expert on the FHSA called uh, yesterday, the Zoom call yesterday said, that it won't necessarily pass through sweat. It's, it's through being around somebody else and breathing the same air that they breathe. So well, that, that's why I say the bubble, the NBA bubble, because they're they're already scrimmaging and having um, you know, three on three drills, and of course you know you got guys in the low post that are being guarded, they're getting you know they're sweating on each other and there's no there's no um, no negative no positive test coming out of that. Plus, like the, the health expert said, I've never heard anybody say anything about sweating. It's all, it's a respiratory transfer through the air and through the droplets. So that's a good situation. I mean, because you got to think about something. This is a six, seven month disease. Think about when AIDS came out. They were still making wrong diagnosis about AIDS five, ten years later. So, you know, they're grasping this at a breakneck pace. And if you really look at the grand scheme of things, medical professionals have done a great job of getting a, getting a, getting their head around this, this disease 
and um, coming up with some answers. Now, there's just still a lot of questions out there, but we've come a long way in seven, eight months. All right, I want to change gears a little bit, jump into some mailbag questions that I got. I had asked uh, some, some Hurricanes fans who follow me at The Athletic to send in mailbag questions, and I'm going to answer some still in a story format, but I took some of the some of the better ones and figured let's use it for the podcast. And a lot of recruiting questions because obviously right now everybody's worried about whether or not there will even be a football season or when it will start. Um, but as far as recruiting, that has continued and so um, this one's a popular one. I figured you and I could answer this here. Do we have a realistic chance of getting Leonard Taylor or yes. James Williams, says Austin yes. P. Yes, the answer is yes. I, I'll let you go first, Kelvin, and then I'll give you my, my insights, what I gather. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball like that one dude, but I'm pretty <laughs> confident that we're going to get Leonard Taylor. And it's 50-50 with James Williams. I think. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. I think, honestly, scheme fit-wise, right now, the best place for him would probably be Georgia because he wants to be a safety outside linebacker. And he's not a traditional 4-3 linebacker, but he is a traditional 3-4 outside linebacker. But if he was really being honest with himself, he would come to UM because he could be the next Greg Russo. You know, you know, six five, two twenty, two twenty five right now. Russo was what two fifteen when he came in. He's already ahead of the game. Right. Put on number ninety, get your nails dirty. Three years from now, you know, him and his grandma and the rest of the family be crying on national TV as the <laughs> top three, top five pick. I mean, but the Leonard Taylor kid, I think, you know, I've heard some some stuff that his family wants him to stay in um in, in, in the city. So that one I'm a little bit more confident about. Yeah, I uh, I spoke to some folks at Palmetto here in the past week and tried Sources. to get some, some, so, some sauces, right? That's how we say it, sauces. Um, I, I basically came away with the impression that Leonard Taylor is 85% committed to signing with Miami. That's the the number that was tossed my way. And I think a lot of it has to do with his family. A lot of it has to do with the job that uh, the Miami coaching staff has done. Coach Stroud, you have to give him some props. But I still think there's an outside chance that the Florida Gators get him. And part of that is the relationship that he has with the position coach at Florida. They've known each other since he was a sophomore in high school. And, uh, you know, so I think the Gators remain a factor for that. And it's not a 100% done deal. But I can tell you, that the overall consensus feeling is that it feels good for Miami that they're going to get Leonard Taylor, who, by the way, is now 6'5", 291, according to some of the folks I spoke to at Palmetto. That's how much he's grown here in the offseason. I know the recruiting websites uh, don't always update their player profiles because it's a lot of work and a lot of information to keep track of, but 6'5", 291. Um, wow. Yeah, and then staying at Palmetto only because I know Miami fans are interested in finding out what's going to happen with the other guys. Uh, Three-star receiver Brashard Smith, you know, who's committed to Florida before, I can tell you that he's got a great relationship with Rhett Lashley. I think Lashley's done a really good job on Zoom showing him uh, what, you know, how they plan to use him as an offensive weapon. So um, I think that that relationship has – 
is really working in Miami's favor. Uh, Smith is 5'10", 191, and the coaching staff told me that he ran a 4'4 when he went to South Carolina and a 4'4'8 when he was at Alabama, laser timed. Mm. So he's a kid with, even though there may be some evaluators out there that think he's a little slower, he's an explosive guy. Mm. And I know the coaching staff at Miami is really excited about him. And, you know, I think Miami's sitting pretty with him. And then, of course, you've got the whole Savion Collins situation. Um, you know, he's a kid that back in March was talking up Florida and he wants Florida. But as you've pointed out here on this podcast before, Kelvin, or maybe I'm just in conversations with me, uh, if Florida really wanted him, they would have gotten him already. Um, so mm-hmm. it's probably more of a deal where, where Savion right now is working on his relationship with the Hurricanes. And the coaching staff told me Savion is 6'4", 331 right now. Okay, that's, uh, mm. that's rather large. Um, but uh, apparently, yeah, apparently uh, his relationship with the Miami coaching staff has improved over time here. And uh, I think from the Palmetto perspective, um, they, you know, they would be uh, surprised if Miami didn't take uh, Savion Collins. So I think that relationship has, has improved. And then with the two DBs, I think COVID-19 has really helped Miami's uh, case with those guys, you know, in terms of um, just being, uh, not, ha- not being able to travel. You know, Corey Collier uh, Jr., uh, four-star safety, uh, 6'2", 180. You know, he's a guy that, um, you know, he's an FSU legacy recruit, but the reality is this is LSU, Whoa. Uh, LSU, Whoa. Miami, and Florida for him. Who, who um, from his family went to FSU? Uh, Collier has family. I don't. I forget who uh, was the one that played for Florida State. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know. Uh, hold on. Let me see here. I think I don't know if it was his uncle or his father, um, but I know he has uh, LSU. Yeah, he's an FSU legacy guy. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. I can't remember his father's name. Hold on a second. I'm going to find it for Cornelius Collier. You remember Cornelius Collier or no? I mean, I guess he went there. <laughs> Um, well, Corey, Corey is, I mean, it seems like FSU is maybe running fourth in that race, uh, and LSU and Florida and Miami are in it. And then, um, of course the last one uh, is the big one that, uh, everybody is excited about Jason Marshall, the five-star cornerback. Um, he kind of opened it back up to five teams after kind of cutting it down and, you know, Miami, Alabama, Florida are among those teams. So, um, but again, I think the COVID-19, the fact that these kids weren't able to travel all over the place and continue to build those relationships, and the fact Miami's taking advantage of that and come in and build better relationships with those kids. has so the other teams for him? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people feel like Alabama's the front runner for him. But, um, you know, the one thing I will say is, look, Collier's going to announce August 10th. And Leonard Taylor's going to announce August 6th. From what I've gathered, even if these guys commit, okay, on August 6th and August 10th, the recruiting's going to come down to the very end because there isn't a college football program in the country that's going to stop recruiting those guys. And I think, you know, they'll continue to hold the space for them. If somebody can take Leonard Taylor at the last minute, they're going to take Leonard Taylor at the last minute. If somebody can take Jason Marshall at the last minute, they're going to do that. So, um, so that's the intel I gathered uh, from the Palmetto front, and we'll see uh, here what happens in the coming weeks. I mean, these kids are all going to make their announcements and, and their decisions, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. And without a high school football season, right, it, it seems like, uh, you know, from what I heard last night on that conference call with the FHSA, 
that here in Dade County and Broward County, they probably won't get started till November. And that's just because, you know, the, the school administrators and everyone are, are want to see the, the this coronavirus numbers start to go down. I know the, uh, the suggestion was to have 28 uh, days straight where it's under 5% in terms of positive cases in, in, in the state. Um, that's the recommendation anyway, that the FHSA gave. So I would imagine the school administrators are going to do the same thing. They're going to be very cautious. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a likelihood that high school football season will get started very late or even pushed to January, uh, depending on what the FHSA just finally decides. But the point is these kids are going to be, you know, chomping at the bit to get on a field and they're going to want to all enroll early January in a college and then get started in their, in their college careers right away. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't, I don't see it season going to January, but I do see they and Brown kind of being pushed, I would think October mm -hmm. and then they'll be on their own because um, I just saw my Twitter page at Collier County or Charlotte County is thinking about forming its own little union and, and, stay, and then breaking away from the um, FHSAA and then that's you know there's probably some other thoughts about that so you know trying to get most of these guys they're trying to get most of these kids some plans some, some film before Christmas but I think with Dayton uh, Broward County I don't see them playing until October because August and September, it gives you eight weeks to get cases under wraps. And school might get pushed back until, like, late September. So how do you start football season before you start school? That's kind of ass backwards. But, and again, we're up for the ass backwards award as a state. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're neck and neck with uh, Arizona. So, ooh, I don't know. But I would like to see these kids get at least six games in high school. Because that's, you know, at the sixth game, Mark, you pretty much, um, you know, they can tell who you are. Yeah. And I think Leonard Taylor's only going to need about two games. They'll be like, yeah, so he is who we thought he was. And, you know, we go from there. Well, it's going to be interesting. I know one thing. I need to keep that 56 open for him, you know. Nobody gets to have that this year, so he can you know, slide right in next year. Yep. Uh, th some people threw some other questions in here in the mailbag. I don't, I don't know. That, uh, we've kind of addressed some of them. Miami seems to be gaining ground on the recruiting trail during this pandemic. Is this legitimate due to coaches building relationships or simply due to uncertainty and players wanting to stay closer to home? Mickey C. Both. asked that question. Both. Yeah, I think we, we kind of addressed it. I gave my explanation how much COVID I think has helped, um, you know, keeping some of the kids here from visiting elsewhere. But I also think you have to credit – uh, the coaching staff and the changes Manny D has made in the recruiting department. I think DVD, uh, Pata, Cooney, those three guys, those three guys with South Florida connections have definitely helped change things here in South Florida. And it's a crazy to think now how Mark Rick didn't have this in place because, you know, it seems like everybody in college football went to the system a while ago where they're hiring these guys with local ties to be well, part of the recruiting department. Actually, DVD and Cooney were there with Rick. They were, but they, I don't think they were technically allowed to recruit. This is this position was created for them to, to be allowed to recruit. Yeah. Um, actually, DVD, I think, was uh, quality control. He was actually in coach. Right. But you know what I mean? This is under this. This is their official title. This is a quote unquote recruiting 
depart. Oh, no, no, I, I get what you're saying, but yeah, you know, but you know, Mark did some pretty. I'm not trying to bash Mark, by the way. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Any credit for sort of bringing oh, no, Manny, in Manny, Manny, Manny took it to the next level, but I would like to see Manny do the same thing that Mark did with those uh, park deals where when he went around with Bane and some other guys and went to all the parks and had the little camps. I mean, that was a genius. Yeah, I think that kind of opened up the floodgates, kind of make it even easier for himself in the last couple of years in Manny. Now, of course, you know, you still had the bag element out there, but I think that's kind of been um, offset by COVID and, you know, the momentum they got with his last recruiting class. So Manny gets kudos. Matter of fact, pay that man. I'm talking about DVD. <laughs> pay that man. <laughs> well, it's not my yeah, money. Yeah. And we know these athletic budgets are uh, under a time crunch. They just laid off the uh, the writer for uh, Florida State's website. I mean, this is a tough time. I mean, they're making Wait cuts. Wait a minute. Florida State did? Florida State laid off their uh, Seminoles.com writer, Tim Linnefeld. Uh, I mean, it's, wow. he, he announced it on, on Twitter. It's a, it's a tough time and a lot of athletic budgets. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to see where they can save some money. And so, uh, you know, you never know. I don't know if they're going to have um, that, that money to, uh, to give DVD a raise. But I hope, I hope those guys who are, who are busting their butts behind the scenes and helping the Canes put together this great recruiting class, not just the assistant coaches uh, who I think have also done a good job, but but the recruiting guys and everybody else in between, you, you'd hope. But again, it's the society, the, the time that we're living in with COVID that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they juggle these budgets and, and how they take care of people who are, who are helping them get ahead. I mean, you get like five stacks from each coach, that's 50 grand. And then, you know, money <laughs> gives 10, that's 60, that's 20 grand extra for each, each one of them guys. You know, it's sort of like, you know, how you do your caddies, you get them a little percentage. You just get them a little raise. Yeah, I, I, I like how you break this down. This is the club promoter in you that comes out, the, the businessman, the NFL businessman that comes out of you. Hey, hey you got to keep DVD happy, man. No, Cooney, because them three guys, they don't want to leave. I mean, they're watching their kids getting raised. They got their dream job. You got to make sure they got the cheese in their pocket, especially now, man. <laughs> Um, there's more questions in here. If you had to make a mock 2021 recruiting class, who would you include? Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to go down that road because I feel like, again, this COVID-19 thing, it's hard to project because guys can change their opinions based on what happens during the season. If coaches get fired and leave, all of those kind of things, I, I kind of like, I mean, I could, I'll do it for the written version of it, but to do it now. I, mean, I, got, I got a name. Go ahead. Came from my hometown, Tavares Dawson. You think he's going to be part of this class? I think he should be. Okay, well, you think he should I just be. Think, I think the problem is I think we're recruiting him at the wrong position. And I mean, he can play corner, but he is a Kevin Williams-type player in the slot in his offense. And I think he wants to play offense in college. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got people recruiting him as a – DB, and I think Auburn committed to him on the offensive side of the ball. Plus, they got Swartz up there, so it, it made sense because he's a track guy, too. He's a, him and Christian Leary, the two fastest guys in the state. So, you know, you run running 10, 300 meters. I mean, you're not 
top of the line SEC hundred meter uh, finals, you know, uh, material just yet. But you run around with Schwartz and Shivers, you know, for half a season because I think Schwartz is coming back. You know, you matter of fact, it's scary. I'm pretty sure they they say, look, we got Schwartz, we put you in there. Can you imagine that? Look at that speed. And I'm just saying, you know, you got Rashard Smith. You put him in there with Rashard Smith in the slot. And the pressure you put in the middle of the field and all those over routes and deep crosses. Ah, man. I mean, well, I, I would say, obviously, you know, they got 18 scholarships uh, already committed, plus uh, the one for Jared Williams who came from Houston. So that's 19. There's basically six scholarships left that counting towards the next cycle and uh, out of the 25. And so, you know, Leonard Taylor, I think, has definitely got one of them in terms of available to him. Uh, I think Jake Garcia, that's two. Um, mm-hmm. Let me go down the list here. Um, Rashard Smith is three. Mm-hmm. Amari Daniels, I'd say, is four. They mm-hmm. take him. And then Thomas Davis, five. That leaves you with one for Mason Smith if he wants, if Corey Collier or Jason Marshall – I mean, th- things would happen. I mean, there would be some some uh, tough conversations to be had if, you know, uh, Corey Collier and, and, and Jason Marshall all of a sudden say they want to come. Um, you'd have to probably let go of somebody uh, at the bottom of the totem pole. But, again. Well, what, happens, what happens if Thomas Davis, Marshall, Collier, James Williams, and Daniels all want to join? Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. you end, you end up with a uh, number one or number two or number three ranked recruiting class, and and you and you thank your lucky stars that COVID nineteen helped you. <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's kind of the dream scenario for Miami, right? You get James Williams, you get Leonard Taylor, Jason Marshall, and and all of a sudden, uh, we back means something, right? I mean, uh, we back really is uh, we back. Hey, so, man. Are you are you non Miami fans out there? Guys like me, you're going to hate us in about six months. <laughs> I'm trying to hold back. You know, it's been a long time since just be able to just talk cash shit. There's nothing that the people can say about it. They just give you dirty looks. I hate that guy. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Hey, um, so I have some audio clips of interviews that I did. Um that I want to share with you guys before we wrap this podcast up. And it's just based off of, um, you know, conversations that I had. One of them was with Kenny Phillips. And I wanted you to be able to hear it. Um, okay. You know, it, him specifically talking about Cameron Kitchens, who he worked with quite a bit uh, at Northwestern last year. So uh, we'll pause for a second and, and you get a chance to hear, hear, hear what he said about Cam Kitchens, uh, former Miami safety, Kenny Phillips. He's going to be the next best thing, man. You definitely put that on paper. I definitely think he's going to be one of the, the better, one of the, one of the better guys that come out of Miami for our safety. Mm-hmm. How many kids have you um, worked with like him? I mean, did you were there other guys around the county you worked with? <sighs> yeah, uh, not so much. The, the last two schools I've been at is just Northwestern and Kansas City for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, just just working with him though, this man, he's a He's, he's a special kid. I mean, he got the range. Mm-hmm. He's a, obviously he's a big guy. Yeah. But w- with him, it was just, um, you know, he already had the raw talent. It was just the fundamentals. 
just just some small things, you know, just working on his angles, you know, staying low on his pedal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working on what to look at with his eyes, his reads. But um, for the most part, man, he, he just he, he's just a raw athlete, man. He's, he's going to be real good. He's smart, and he's smart. He, like, far as with the West, he, he caught the whole defense. You know, you knew where this person had to be, where that person had to be. So he, he's, a, he's a smart kid. He uh he saw he seems to me and he talked about the instincts. I mean it feels like he does a lot of stuff just off of natural instincts. But now he's like studying you know what kind of shoes guys are wearing, you know what when when defensive linemen stand up when they don't. Like he's looking at all the type of things that I think you know the elite guys look at. Is, is that kind of what you mean? Like he's yep. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like I said like he just to me my my first time meeting him you know just just speaking to him and you could tell he was. Um, you know, Max does a great job with those guys out there. But mm-hmm. you just know, you know, because they're so talented, they're so raw, he kind of just let them guys go play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they didn't have what he, I want to say, have. He just, he just go play. It's as hard as he, like, he just go ball. You, you tell him what to do, he just go do it. But as far as, like, understanding route combinations and understanding, uh, you know, how teams are trying to attack him and, and stuff like that, he, you know, he didn't really understand it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, just even just his backpedal, you know, just he wasn't, you know, moving his arms when he backpedal. Something as simple as that. I'm like, yo, don't, don't you feel weird? <laughs> yeah. Like you run, you you run forward, you run forward, you pump your arms right. Like, yeah. And he was like, oh, you know, I said it's the same thing going backwards. You know, it was just it was just small stuff. Like I said, in a clink right away with him. Mm-hmm. Just one foot to break off of it, stuff like that. So it's, it was just basically giving him. Like the, the fundamentals go with the, the, the talent and everything else he already had. He, he had nine picks as a junior, man. How many did you have your junior year of high school at Carroll City? I, <laughs> I can't remember. You had a bunch of them, too. I don't know. I might have had like seven or eight. I missed four games. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> but, but, that's like, but, that's what, but that's what makes you guys so special is anticipating the ball, being able to hide, you know, hide the coverages, mm-hmm. knowing where your teammates have to be. I mean, those are really the skills, and it, and it seems like you, and you're recognizing right away that he's got that already. I mean, that, that's what makes him like you said, he's he's, he's a he's, he's he's a big guy. He's he's a big guy. He can run. Mm-hmm. And he's smart. You know, what I'm saying he he understands the game. Mm-hmm. He hits you. He get the chance. He hit you. So he got to continue to you know he's going to continue to get better. You know, so he's young. Right. He's going to continue to, to work on his tackling and his angles. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, man, he, he's a he's a complete guy. Yeah, five eleven. I think the height thing is the only thing I guess that people worry about with him is you know he's, he, I know he's big physically, but in terms right. of him being able to hit and everything, does he remind you of anybody you've played with or played against or, or a guy that you looked at when you watched film? Is there a guy that you, you're like, yeah, he's 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 kind of like him? It's kind of hard because of it's just the type of mm-hmm. the type of like system they play in in high school, like the defense he play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, he got the ball hawking skills, you know, like Ed. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying he'll come up and hit you like Sean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what I'm saying like he, he got the range like myself. He, he's a he's a I don't know. He just got it. To me, he's just a complete kid. You know, he's not that big. Far like you say, his height is not, is not there, but he's not a small kid. Right. You know, what I'm saying he got a lot of ground to do. Mm-hmm. Just being seventeen, you know, seventeen years old. Right. So I mean, I think he's going, he's going to fill out nice, and he's going to he's going to be. I, I think he's definitely going to be one of the next great safeties to come out of Miami. All right. So you heard what Kenny Phillips had to say. He thinks that uh, young Cam Kitchen is going to be the next great safety to come out of Miami. Um, some exciting stuff. I also got a chance to talk to some folks at Columbus, Coach Dave Dunn, and of course Miami commit Ryan Rodriguez. 
the offensive lineman, uh, to talk about the new commitment, Jabari Ishmael, who's kind of a throwback cane in terms of the sense of this kid isn't very involved on social media. And, you know, he's a very sort of uh, hide from the limelight kind of guy, very under the radar type, big 6'5", 210 frame. Here's what Dave Dunn had to say, his coach at Columbus had to say about Jabari Ishmael. Which Jabari, it's a great kid. Um, you know, quiet leader. He's, not, he's, he's become more vocal this year, which has been the impressive thing about him. Watching him mature this offseason has been great. Um, and versatile kid that can play either defensive end or linebacker right now. Okay. Um, you know, we've used him both as a stand on the ground and, and, uh, uh, and stand it up. You know, I don't know what, you know, wherever he goes, plans will be. I think he's just going to keep getting bigger. So I'd like to think his future is with his hand on the ground, but you know, I, I, I won't be coaching him in college. That's just kind of my, right. you know, I think he's going to get bigger. How uh, how um, big is he now? Was the last time you saw him, and then how big was he? He's like he's, he's like old, right about two thirty. I think he said he weighed two twenty eight. Uh, we still have our kids weigh in and just take a picture of it, and send it. So I think on Wednesday he weighs right about two thirty, maybe a hair, you know, a pound or two below at the most. Okay, and he's how tall is he now? Six five. He's 6'5", yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that he is going to go to Miami, obviously, with his dad there. But I wonder how much of the recruiting was halted, I mean, because of everything yeah. that went on. I mean, what, what other schools were really after him besides Miami? Oregon. Okay. Mario Mar, Mar, was trying to get him. Yeah, and then, because um, uh, uh, if you look at they have that kid, Kayvon Thibodeau, who plays, who's kind of a stand-up guy. They put that his hand on the ground and was... You know, standing at the end of the year last year, we'll, we'll get drafted one year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty similar. Um, they went to Florida State. I, I know that that was, you know, those were the ones he talked about the most. Did you he, know, and I always tell those guys, I'll never tell them where to go. Right. So here's the ones I'm looking at. I go, Jabari, they're all good schools. Pick where you want to go. You know? <laughs> right. Did, was, was he disappointed that he couldn't take the trip? Like, did he was he looking forward? Like, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think he really. I think he really would have liked to to, to, to do this. I think he really would. I, th- I think. I think you know, um, very few kids. You know, some do, but I think still very few kids know where they're really going to end up. And I think that's a big part of it is going to meet the guys in the team, see what campus is like, and and, and all that. And I think that you know every kid would miss something like that. Yeah. Of course, I'm sure. I, I, but I guess in the back of everybody's mind, it's like, well, his dad works at Miami, so he's definitely going to go there. But, but you I, know, though, if you ask, if with him was he he was great about it. And I asked him one time. I always just try to say, listen, what are the key factors for you to make your decision? Because I was a college coach for so long. Right. I still even now, I always want to know what makes kids tick. And I, I tell him right away, I go, listen, until uh, he's told me where he's going to go. Right. I go, he didn't tell me till today because I didn't want to know. Right. I said, I will not, until I, you, I hear from you, I go, I'm not going to talk to anybody about your recruitment. I just think because it's personal between you, oh, your family, and the schools you're going. So I just say, hey, I go, I go, but if you want advice, I'll give it to you. But then I, every once in a while I would check in, I go, I was recruiting going about the same coach. What do you like? This, this, and this. And so I, I, with him, he did, he goes, you know what, coach? He goes, I, I, he goes, if I go to go to Miami, it's not going to be because my dad's there. Mm-hmm. Or he goes, and if I don't go to Miami, it's not going to be because my dad's there. You know, he, he wanted to take the place he thought was best for him, right. which I thought was the right thing to do. His dad may get a head strength and conditioning job somewhere next year. You know, it's, it's he's, you know, he's lasted a long time. It might be, I don't think that would happen, but mm-hmm. as college coach, you, you never know. All right, you heard from Dave Dunn. Now this is 
Jabari Ishmael's teammate, Ryan Rodriguez, giving his take on who the Hurricanes just got a commitment from Jabari Ishmael. What can you tell me about Jabari, man, as a, as a teammate and, and as a player? Well, if you compare Elijah and Ish, um, Ish is more of a speed rusher. It's fast. Mm-hmm. Like, Ish is, like, runs on four or five. It's fast. Mm-hmm. Elijah has a lot more power. Mm-hmm. Elijah's strong. Mm-hmm. But Ish, Ish is a good leader. Mm-hmm. Him and my best friend Dustin are on the linebackers, and Ish does the end also. So he's a good defensive leader. Should be one of the captains this year. Yeah. He made it great. He doesn't say much. He just does his job. So. Yeah, I heard he's not he's not on social media at all, according to coach. Like he doesn't have no. Instagram, Twitter. I mean, is he like an old man? Is he like so? He's not. He's a, he's <laughs> he goes home and plays FIFA. That's what he does. That's what Jabari yeah. does. Have you have you gone to his house? Have you gone to like hang out with him and stuff or no? No, he doesn't have anyone over. He doesn't even let anyone over. He's very closed off. Wow, why is that? Did you ever, has anybody ever talked to him or asked him? No, I mean, I never asked him. I got close to him uh, as we as we gone through high school together, but I never really asked him about that. I know his dad is very quiet also. Yeah, well, his dad's been at UM forever. Did, did you, have you ever spoken to his father, or is it like just, hey, Mr., you know? Yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I yeah. never talked to him. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just a great player. It's just a great teammate also. And he's smart. How much did he play linebacker? How much did he play end? Well, which one did he play more last year for you guys? Last year he played more end because it was him and Elijah. Right. But this year I think he's going to play a little more linebacker. What is um, outside linebacker, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, like he'll come down and rush at the end, and then he'll drop back and cover. And shit. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. He, uh, how, and you said he's four five. I mean, you've seen him. Like, is he like one of the fastest guys on the team? Yeah, uh, he's the fastest D lineman. I was excited. I'm glad he's going to be a part of it. And if we could get Leonard Taylor, that's a really nice feeling. All right. So before we wrap up the show, Kelvin, I want to touch on maybe one last question out there. And, and people are sort of interested. Is, is Miami going to take a chance on two guys that just entered the transfer portal? One of them is Nebraska safety, former Nebraska safety. No. Jaden Francois, who just got no. out of South Dade. And the other no. – is former uh, Georgia DB Devod Wilson, who played at Miami Northwestern. And I think you've, you've hit it on the head. I've heard that Jaden Francois is a no. Um, I think his situation with Miami and the way he handled the recruiting last year, committing and decommitting twice, uh, didn't sit well with uh, the man in charge of Miami's football program. And then I also heard uh, that Devod Wilson – while Miami may be interested and they may have some good relationships with him from, from previous, uh, you know, relationships and recruiting relationships, I think uh, UCF may be the more likely destination because I think UCF was second to Georgia in his recruitment. So that's what I've heard, and uh, that's what I've got to report on that. What do, you, what do you say here, Kelvin, as we wrap this thing up? If he goes to UCF, that's the Randy Shannon factor, but I would not – rule out if we warn him us getting him. And he would be a solid pickup because he is a SEC tested corner um, who probably could play some safety too. He adds, he's another now the question is what actually now that I think about it, if we want him, we're going to get him because if he transfers to UCF, he's going to have to sit out. Right. Well, we don't know where his family could always put an address, right? I mean, isn't that how it always works? <laughs> Maybe his family moved to Orlando. Nah, he's from the city. 
Well, I, I understand that, but you know, I, I just, I know uh, I've covered recruiting enough, uh, both at the high school and college level enough to know that there's loopholes to make that thing work. And, and I don't know, I think, what was the rule anyway? How many miles away from home are you allowed to go? Is it a hundred miles? Is it 200 miles? 120 to 150. Okay. So, I mean, maybe they, uh, maybe mom moved up to West Palm beach. I don't know. Maybe she moved up to Stewart. I, I, we don't know the loopholes, but anyway, I, I'm just passing along some of the information that I've been fed from my sources and people that seem to think UCF might be where, where Devon Wilson ends up, but uh, we'll see, man. I mean, uh, this thing is always up in the air. There's so much, you know, sort of uncertainty. I'm just glad that every week I can count on my guy, Kelvin Harris, to come on and talk Canes football with me. Uh, I always have a good time doing that. As well yeah. as uh, as Mike Zimmerman, who's off right now listening to us with one ear while producing another podcast. This guy is – he is a busy, busy dude. That might be his last podcast. I, I know you keep trying to fire him every single show, but one of these days when Mike Zimmerman isn't putting out 400 podcasts, I'm going to just let him go to town on you, Kelvin, because you, you've, you've given him so <laughs> much crap that at a certain point I think we got to give him a chance to fire back. Am I wrong? Um. I guess. I mean. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to wrap it up, man. You got something else? Go ahead. No, no, I'm good. I mean, I just think that it's going to be, uh, you know, I think the kids are going to be responsible. And you know, hopefully we can, once they get to training camp, then everybody take a side, you know, a nice, nice deep breath. And then, of course, during training camp, you're going to have to make sure that, you know, they keep Lakeisha away. <laughs> or Maria way, and uh, they uh, just, you know, um, <laughs> concentrate. But I think I think it's there. I mean, I just got that feeling that they, they get it now. They want it, they get it. Let's hope so. so. Yeah, but only time will tell. Yep. All right, for Calvin Harris, I'm Manny Navarro. We will hear you and see you next time. On the Wide Right Podcast. First two, knock them out. Dinner is on me. DJ Dallas with the shakes. Better press on them brakes. Osborne on that fade. Cut through the defense like a.